welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, fully curricular Ken episode <laughs> of Normandy FM. Uh, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard, and today we have a lovely guest. Ash Parrish is here. How you doing, Ash? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to finally be here. It's, it, it's over. I was, I was debating how to frame it because technically this is your first appearance on the show, but you have been on the Normandy FM podcast feed before. So listeners of the PAX panel will recognize Ash from the Dragon Age companion ranking panel we did earlier this year, uh, which was just a blast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so much fun remembering how much time it takes for so many people to talk about how they feel about various Dragon Age characters. <laughs> um, I think that was really uh, overambitious on everybody's <laughs> part. Like, you really need to set aside half of a day for something like that. Yeah, yeah. You need to segment out, like, morning, afternoon, evening blocks, you know, make sure there's room in there for meals. Everybody's got to stay awake and well-rested. Like, it's a whole, it's an ordeal. Um, But we're not here to talk about every character. We're here to talk about one character. We're here to talk about Vivienne. And Ash, I I just want to ask up front, what about Vivienne, like, appeals to you? Why is this the character that you were eager to talk about on this podcast? All right. Um, I love Dragon Age Origins. Love that game. It's a terrible game to go back and replay. I don't recommend it. (laughs) I completely bounced off Dragon Age 2. I have no idea why. I think it was in this weird gray space where I was like, I don't know what video games I was playing or if I was playing video games at all, but I completely bounced off Dragon Age 2. But I remember... One very specific memory I have about Dragon Age Inquisition is I remember, I think it was either some teaser trailer or something where you see Vivienne like walking down like some steps or whatever. Like she's doing this Mm. badass fucking, um, what's her, Naomi Campbell, like you better work, bitch, kind of walk, (laughs) like with her mask and her like high collar and everything. And I saw that she was black and I'm like, oh, fuck. Yep, there we go. That's it. That's all I need to know. Like, I completely, I'd never played Dragon Age 2 until after Dragon Age Inquisition, but I saw that, like, part of her, like, I can't even remember if it was, I'm pretty sure it was, it was a, the, the commercial or some kind of trailer for her where it was just, like, introducing all the characters, and I saw that, I'm like, oh, yep, that there it is. That's the reason I'm going to play this game. <laughs> and it was one of the reasons I ended up playing this game, and, and I ended up loving that game for a lot of the companions, not just for Vivian herself, but I remember that being, like, the image that galvanized me to want to play this game after having missed uh, the one before it. Yeah, it's, um, like, like Vivienne's a character that, and Ken, I think we've talked about this already, but, like, this is a character that I think I initially bounced off of, uh, mm-hmm. because I was, like, um, and, and for, for somewhat similar reasons, uh, to what you mentioned, where, like, I wasn't completely gelling with her view on the circle and her view on, on the world, but also, like, this, this game, and I, I think we've experienced this a little bit already, like, depending on the character class you are and what characters you tend to bring with you you end up kind of pigeonholing yourself into using only certain characters and so like i often don't talk to blackwall very much because i tend to use cassandra a lot and those two fall in the same archetype and for me like i was always trying to get dorian or solace out into the field so vivian ended up kind of like uh riding behind lagging behind a little bit and this 
time playing around i've like i've made a very concerted effort to try and have vivienne in my party more often to try and sub her in especially after Solus, you know dumped me <laughs> <laughs> um but it's it's been a complete 180 for me in terms of this character because you know like ash said vivienne's just got this commanding presence like this aura mm. around her and like she's very cool calm collected like it's and and she's got an interesting viewpoint that i feel you don't really get from mm. uh from dorian or Solus. like this idea of a circle mage who's chill with the circle in a way yeah. and is giving you like not the Tevinter approach or the soulless like i'm the best person smartest person in the room approach but like somebody who is just smart and knows it and tells you what's up like i really i've been appreciating vivienne a lot this playthrough i don't know if how, how have you kind of felt about her so far ken so the interesting thing is like i and i even said this on our panel like as a person who like comes from a mage background in this universe vivienne was immediately uncomfortable to me to engage with um even to the point where, like, I think in my first playthrough, I don't know if I even thought, like, I, I think there was a point where, like, my having conversations with her was blocked off if I didn't gain the approval that I would have needed to do it. But, um, Ash, when you were on the panel and you were talking about how, like, Dragon Age's framing of the Mage Templar stuff, like, it's sort of meant to be, like, pushed forward as, like, you know, this group of oppressed people uh, coming up and, like, you know, fighting for their own power. And how that allegory doesn't match up the way that it kind of is maybe like they try to present it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I've been thinking a lot, like I've been thinking a lot about Vivian since that panel and just like trying to identify what it is that's bothered me about her over the years. Cause like that was going back to even like 2014 when the game first came out. Mm-hmm. And I think initially there was part of me that was like, like I had that knee jerk reaction that she felt very like devil, like a devil's advocate character that was kind of like evocative of things that I had like maybe experienced like growing up gay in the South and like that. So like it kind of like immediately I was not gelling with her. So I think when Dragon Age had that framing, all, you know, all this, all these games, I feel like, I feel like Vivian is kind of meant to be inherently kind of inflammatory to like the way that Dragon Age just tried to position this issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had been, I had felt uncomfortable with her for that long, but then when we had the panel, I kind of like, you know, I sat back and thought about it. And I was like, does Vivian make me uncomfortable, or have I just kind of been told by Dragon Age at large that she should? Um, Ooh. And so, yeah. you know, again, taking a step back, like, divorcing myself from the way the series has framed this, and just looking at, like, on paper, like, what are Vivian's views on, like, how the world should be different than it, how it is? And it kind of has, like, been, like, you know, anyone that's listened to this podcast so far knows, like, my feelings on Dragon Age have been spiraling downward the longer that we've done this podcast. And I think it's been, like, another knock on the series for me at large because it got me thinking, why is, you know, the the story, like, the, the story of oppression that Dragon Age, like, really puts in the player's face and, like, lets them engage with, the one about people that have dangerous magical pow- powers versus, like, a religious military faction and not, like, the elves and the alienage rising up or, like, you know, the slaves in Tevinter. Like, why are those instances of, like, kind of like a very like a very black and white um a story of oppression why are those not the things that we get to really engage with because like now that i've kind of thought about that vivian was a character that dragon age did like a game ago like somebody that in dragon age 2 that was like having the more sensible viewpoints and conversations that nobody has until you get here so mm-hmm. that's what i was gonna say 
like Vivian feels like a correction. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, we get a very black and white view of the Magi, the circle of Magi and the temple and the Templars or whatever, at least in its own universe, like the Magi are like these, you know, monstrous beings that need to be, you know, locked away and kept from us and whatever. And the Templars are like the only thing that can save the populace at large from like, you know, mass death and destruction. But to the player, it's like, you know, oh, these poor oppressed mages that are kept under the boot of these tyrannical Templars and, you know, religious fanaticism and whatever. And I think Vivienne feels like a correction of that mm. because like, like, you know, like I said on the panel and like you've reiterated here is that um, that allegory kind of doesn't hold up. I mean, right. they try to prop it up as this like oppressed versus oppressors, but it kind of doesn't hold up when one side has the ability to literally like bomb your village to shit just with a thought. So yeah. I think Vivienne presents that, okay, finally, you know, somebody thought enough to think about like, okay, first of all, not everybody is a monolith. Mages themselves right. are not a monolith. And this mm-hmm. is that like not a monolith kind of deal. Like she understands that her and mages like her have immense power that should have some kind of check on it and but she doesn't necessarily feel like the checks that have been put on already are the ones that are working for it which is why when you you know just jump ahead a little bit when you make her the divine like yeah she reinstitutes the circle of magi which not everybody likes but at the same time mages are granted far more powerful Mm. far more powerful than they've ever had while the Templars are kept on an extremely short leash, which, you know, comes with its own attendant issues once what we know about Templars. But still, like, it, it's it's different. It's changing such that, at least in her mind and in mind, that it, this is a, a, a much better system than what was in place before, where mages are allowed to have some kind of freeman, freedom where they can, you know, be human, but not so much so that they can, you know, go about unchecked and potentially hurt people. Right, and, it, and it's about time that Dragon Age, you know, itself introduced that nuance. And what's frustrating to me about it is that like that nuance comes in Dragon Age Inquisition, where they have basically just made the mages into parts these opposing factions, like one under the Inquisition, one under Corypheus, and it's like that nuance needs to be like put into action in a game like Dragon Age Two. Like have somebody like Vivian be the person that's not like they they kind of like tried to have this sort of like mitigating character with um Elthina. But, like, she is very much like, oh, they'll let them sort thrones do that. Let, let them fight, and then they'll be tired, and then we can all work it out. And then, you know, that game escalates the way it does. And by then, it's too late. And, yeah, she, she feels... Like, Vivian feels late, and that's, like... Like you said, it's, it's a correction, but by this point, at the end of Inquisition, they kind of abandon that plotline, like, entirely, so... Yeah. She feels late in that, because we've been presented with these, like, very black and white... Um, takes on mm. mages versus whatever that any introduction of nuance this late in the game you know being in the third entry is that like oh it, it's a you you're you've already been conditioned to have a negative reaction to her no. which yeah. from what i remember of my time in the fandom w- was very pronounced like it yeah. like ooh they hated the shit out of vivian which was you know very distressing because I, I loved her. Like, I, I'm not even a mage character, so maybe that might color me a little bit. But I, I loved her as a character. I loved what she represented, the nuance that she brought. She was just fun to talk to. Mm. I think um, a lot of that 
antipathy or animosity towards her is also grounded in the fact that she will not take your bullshit. Mm. Like she's not <laughs> she she's not she's like that typical um uh reality show contestant person. It's like she's not here to make friends. And because she didn't immediately fall over and kiss your ass, I think um a lot of people hated her because of that too. Yeah. Uh, which did her no favors but made me love her more. Yeah. Yeah. Um I for for me like I agree with a lot of what's been said and I think the other interesting nuance that we got to bring into this is the fact that Vivienne not only like comes in late to the Mage Templar stuff but also like ends up playing a role in the Chantry stuff even if it doesn't seem outright obvious at first and this is probably something again we should have this is on me we should have brought up uh during wicked eyes wicked hearts but this is the part of the game where they kind of overtly tell you that hey um the chantry's in ruins uh we can't get anything together uh we're in absolute wreck uh can we borrow one of your people to come and work for us and lead us because we just can't do anything uh, and so that's kind of the first hint that, uh, at least at the outset, that Cassandra and Liliana are both like front runners for what is essentially fantasy pope, you know, being the <laughs> uh, new divine. And mm-hmm. something that the game maybe doesn't overtly tell you at the outset, but that you can kind of work your way into is that Vivienne can also fill yeah. that role potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that raises a lot of really interesting things because you go from a game where you were pretty evenly divided in you know, Dragon Age 2, like we were saying, it's very much like you are either with the mages or against the mages uh, or with the Templar or against the Templar. There's not really room for nuance there too. We're going to fool around with nuance, but then we're also going to settle the Mage Templar conflict in a very binary decision. Mm-hmm. And then also, you can now just make mages part of the church, and that's a thing you mm. can push for if you want. And it's, I mean, the the divine conversation is like a much larger one that we will probably discuss in more overt detail in the epilogue section. But it's worth considering here for the fact that Vivienne represents this like very different take on what the Chantry can be and how it treats magic but she also kind of seems like she wants to uphold the status quo in a way that also seems very weird to me I don't know it's hers I I've looked up what it what happens if you uh if you make her the divine and it's it's a really strange outcome compared to the other two which uh I don't know have y'all ever made Vivian the divine in your playthroughs I did. You did? I suspect I'm the only one who did. Um, I made <laughs> yeah. her the divine because obviously. Um, <laughs> just the idea of knowing that she could be was like, oh, yeah, this is. I didn't particularly care for the idea of Cassandra being the divine or mm-hmm. Liliana. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't much. I didn't care much for Cassandra in my first playthrough. And I never care for Liliana in any of my like dealings with her throughout the, the Dragon Age oeuvre. Like she's cool, but like, eh, you know, whatever. Like I, I consider my my inquisitor and my um, my Kuzlin consider her friend, but I wasn't really particularly endeared to her the way that I was like Win or someone else. But so like the the idea of Vivian being a third option, I'm like, oh yeah, I like her. Mm-hmm. Let's do that instead. <laughs> you know. So and and I like what she does because, like I said, um, 
you know, she you're, you're right in that it does seem like a weird upholding of the status quo. But if you examine Vivienne and kind of the things that she represents, it makes sense to her. Like mm-hmm. it, it's still the status quo, but it's a very different kind of status quo. You know, it's um, it's very like incremental change. And I think yeah, Vivienne is yeah. very shrewd when she does that because um, it's no... I guess, not that it's an elephant in the room, but Vivian is is a black person, Um, not how, you know, we as Americans would understand black people, but the way that she comes across um, with how she deals with the mage question and whatever feels very much like in the civil rights discussion, not necessarily as radical as Malcolm X is or is necessarily Mm -hmm. like conservative. Well, you know, no, she kind of feels like a conservative, like kind of Martin Luther King figure. And that's like, hey, you know, maybe not like, radical change and violence in the streets or whatever but just like incremental change and that's mm-hmm. kind of what she represents for Matt for mages mm. i had um like even if even if my personal like opinion on vivian and like kind of appreciation for her has changed i don't think the game gives me the tools to have that really like nuanced relationship with her in the game so like by this point and by you know any point my inquisitor and her are not on great terms um, mm-hmm. and so like the question of bringing her up as the divine like never really crossed my mind and granted like there, because of the way the the divine decision works, it's kind of like based on other decisions that you've made throughout the game, as opposed to like maybe like a specific choice you make, like where you can like appoint somebody. Um, so like by the time it gets to this point, and like I realize that she's an option, like all the choices that I made have like completely mm-hmm. deaded that possibility. Yeah. Um, but it is it is strange to me. Like I think what has always stuck out to me is a bit strange is the way like the game buries that possibility in a way that always seemed weird to me because like you know Cassandra and Liliana are the ones that are brought forth Vivian doesn't really even like take you aside like hey there's another option this, this is my proposal because like you can do like a, a war table um, choice that I think gives Vivian some like kind of points in the back end of what's going on mm-hmm. but um, it's not as overt like you have to actively go looking for it it's just always been that's always been a strange thing to me it's like it feels like an afterthought in a way that I don't think that Vivian deserves for it to have to like I don't think it like, I think the character deserves more than to be felt like something they kind of, like, added in and then mm-hmm. put in, wrote into an epilogue. So that's always read weird to me. Um, I, I assume that if she is in the Divine, she gets, like, you know, a really, like, um, a, a better role in Trespasser, where that becomes a thing where, like, you interact with the Divine, like, on a, like, a very personal level as opposed to just an epilogue. So. Now, I'm trying to remember, do you make her divine after Trespasser, or is she the divine during it? I don't remember. It's been a minute. Yeah, the divine has been um, has been named by the time you get to Trespasser. Yeah, if so. you... I, I'm reading the, the lovely Dragon Age wiki at the moment, um, <laughs> and it looks like uh, if you make her divine, she obviously like sits on the Exalted Council and represents the Chantry and is kind of that person uh, when you have to, to deal with that stuff later. Um, but it seems like it mostly like serves the same role as the other two. Um, mm. and I'm now struggling to remember what role the divine serves in Trespasser because it's just been that many well, years and I that mean, many games ago. Yeah, because what I remember when in in interacting with her, you do that little thing where you had do the spa day and you've got yeah. like the mm-hmm. little cheese yeah. wheels yeah. on your eyes, and that doesn't sound like something if she were divine she would mm. do, which makes me think that this happens after. You know what I mean? Well, I I have um. I played it fairly recently, and Liliana was divine in my playthrough, and like she's like she's full of like in the uh, the chantry where, right. and like she's talking to she doesn't have like the the, the spa day equivalent really. She just has like a conversation with her, and she's like 
kind of politicking. I don't really like again. Like, I don't know what the alternative themes are for like Cassandra or Vivian, if there are any. So, although since it sounds like you did you did the spa day, then maybe there's not. So. Hmm. Yeah, I I remember that you. I'm pretty sure, unless it, seems... it was another playthrough that um she was divine at the end of my Dragon Age Inquisition, and then I went into Trespasser, and you still got to hang out with her. Like you guys were cool. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it seems like really the way it works is that whoever is divine just kind of plays the divine role in Trespasser. Um, mm. So it'll be whoever it is. Um, obviously, like the the dialogue, the voice acting will change and stuff, but it will be that person uh, in the robes and such. Man, Cassandra looks goofy in the <laughs> divine robes. <laughs> they all kind of do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's look, a, divine. It looks like that's an unwieldy headpiece. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's a lot going on up there. Seems like that thing would just tip for no reason at all. <laughs> like, um, so Vivian, she's got really kind of one companion quest. There is a, a separate one that you can do that's like recovering tomes that were lost from the circle. But otherwise, um, she has one very specific quest. And it's one that... I'm still kind of working through how I feel about it, to be honest. Um, because initially, when I played it for this playthrough, I was like, huh, huh, that's it. That's, uh, that was the quest, I guess. <laughs> like, it feel, it felt kind of at first, I was like, oh, that was kind of just a thing that happened. And I don't feel like I really got a lot out of it. But, like, the more I kind of sat within thought about it especially in context of who vivian is is as a uh, a character um i think i i'm, I'm coming around a little bit on it um it's i called, think what's go that? ahead sorry 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 okay, well it's, it's called bring me the the heart of snow white uh and the general idea is that vivian uh confides in you that she's working on a potion she needs the heart of a very specific wyvern uh, a snowy wyvern to make it uh, and she's very specific that you need the snowy wyvern and the heart to do this um, and I think that was the first thing that kind of made me start to think about what this quest is because up to this point you know I had had conversations with Vivian and she had been kind of in an advisory role in like a helpful role and you know I talked about when we got to Skyhold uh, she has that really good conversation that you can have with her where She's like, how do you feel right now after the events of Haven and after all that happened? And, you know, I answered back honestly with my Inquisitor. I was like, I'm mad. And she's like, good. Hold that anger. Store it and use it. It'll give you power later. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Vivian gets it. <laughs> so, uh, but here it was like, this wasn't, you know, like mentoring or the way that I kind of traditionally interacted with Vivian. But this is her like coming to me and saying, hey, I need this thing. And I think it was the idea that it wasn't just like, oh, hey, can you go get this? You know, she kind of plays it off as like, oh, you know, I had some chevaliers, but they're kind of tied up. But this ultimately, she makes a point of saying like, this is something I need you to do. And I'm trusting you to do this. Not the Inquisition, not, you know, Colin and his merry band of men or whatever he has over there. Uh, like, I need you to go do this for me. Um, so that would that kind of stuck out at me right away. And... Can 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 we real quick talk about some open world bullshit? Because we haven't yep. talked about this in a while. <laughs> Always down to discuss that. We haven't if, talked if, about if it's the same thing that it happened to me when I was trying to do this. I think we are on the same page. The the O W we haven't talked about O W B S on this 
uh, podcast in quite some time, and we need to talk about it now because wait, OWBS, open world bullshit. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is that is our shorthand for really came about while we were playing Andromeda, but I need to resurrect it here now because can uh, it took me a solid probably twenty to thirty minutes longer than it should have to find where this wyvern is because there's just all like first of all apparently the inquisitors cannot swim that's just a thing that doesn't work and i'm like look it's just a small outcropping let me just swim around it on the left side and get to this area nod like inquisitor just drowns there's a boat right over there but apparently inquisitor can't paddle either uh and then on the other side it's like hey guess what you know like there's a fortress but that doesn't actually lead anywhere there's giant rocky walls there's rocky walls all the way over and then you get to one part and it's like oh you gotta plant a flag in the ground and then go back to skyhold and then order people to move these rocks and then you can go back and now you've got a campsite there and you can continue on into this area ken i hate it so much <laughs> i hate it so <laughs> just let me order it just let me order it from the field let me move it myself i had the same problem because like, i couldn't figure out how to get to where i needed to i had already done that that mission to, or that uh, war table thing to like get things so, like as soon as i figured out where that was it was fine but i had like i did i follow like 30 minutes of, like running around running circles trying to figure out how to get there so i pulled up a youtube video and like saw the person that i watched like sorry i can't shout you out i don't remember your name um they had the exact same problem and I had to, like, mm -hmm. run throughout trying to find this place. And when they finally did, I was like, oh, that is not communicated to me on the map. To, like, how to get to this section. It also, like, routes you away from it. Like, in a direction away from the pointer for yeah. a bit. And then, like, doubles back on itself in a way that just feels very counterintuitive. And I know this is, like, a extremely granular. <laughs> Sorry, Ash. But... No, no, no. So, <laughs> if I'm understanding you correctly... Um... You guys had trouble getting access to the actual place to kill the wyvern because mm -hmm. you hadn't unlocked it from the war table thing well, yet. It's, right? it's that there are so many steps and none of them are made very clear and that the pathfinding in this game has, in my opinion, kind of always not been great. Yeah, because... the pathfinding has always been bad in Dragon Age Inquisition. Mm -hmm. And I think I understand a little bit the, the unwieldy fact that you have to unlock it via mm -hmm. a war table thing and yeah. then go to it to kill it. And then like how you would gain access to the war table quest to even unlock it in the first place was probably a pain in the ass. I for for whatever reason I don't remember I don't think I had that problem when I did it. I I don't remember the war table being unwieldy. I've been anxious to get back to uh, Dragon Age Inquisition playthrough again, but I had some problems getting back uh, <laughs> starting over from Dragon Age Origins because Dragon Age Origins is a terrible fuck game on PC. On PC, God, if to you the podcast. yeah, welcome right. To the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful and I've had all kinds of trouble and like the game crashed and I lost all my progress and I didn't want to oh, go back fuck. and I haven't been I know I haven't been back since because it's just so fucking demoralizing trying to work make that game work and make mm. it work decent enough for I, so that I can play it but uh yeah so I'm considering just getting to the good part which for me is Dragon Age Inquisition but oh, yeah I, when I my like first like I played through the game like twice three times when I played it the first time and I know I don't remember having trouble yeah, getting access to this quest like i did everything on the war table because i like the war table yeah. well i don't think it was trouble so much as like i think some of the things they do with the war table to try and make the war table feel like it's this thing that you need to go back and keep checking and keep you know keeping up with end up feeling 
like very busy work in a way and you know part of this could be on me because i'm using a mod on pc that takes all the wait times out of the war table stuff so hmm. all of a sudden when i'm like oh you mean i have to go there plant a flag go back to skyhold run up the stairs go through all the halls and stuff to the war table tell them like hey i want these rocks gone and then go back to the map that this is on and then walk back to that area to proceed forward that all just feels like too many steps where i kind of wish that i could have just said like hey um i want to order you know like i want to spend two power to Hmm. have my inquisition people come in and clear this out and then get a little cutscene of like inquisition soldiers coming in and clearing out rocks and then they're just gone and i don't have to do that whole step of like going back to skyhold and doing the war table and then going back to the map like there are just little things like that in this game where it feels like they just added a war table step so you would have a reason to have to always be going back to the war table and that's what like this mission is what really highlighted it for me where i was just like why do i have to do this like why is this why is this so necessary um i like the war table in theory but i feel like there are parts of it that could have so easily been either like just changed up in a way or you know maybe make it so you have a small one where you can send like requisition orders from your camp to say like hey i need soldiers to come in and move these rocks and they'll be like cool we'll be there in 10 minutes and then you still have the timer or whatever but you don't have to like just sit there and sky hold (laughs) that's open world bullshit (laughs) um But then once we get through the rocks and around a dragon, which is kind of hanging out in the area that I just kind of dodged a little bit, uh, we killed the snowy wyvern. Well, I think it's worth mentioning. Yes, I'm I'm going to mention it, Ken. Don't worry. There are also a bunch (laughs) of other wyverns of the non-snowy variety here. And uh, this is where, and I thought this was a little fucked up. So (laughs) um, initially you are given this quest and it's like get the snowy wyvern heart and then once you have killed one normal wyvern a new quest thing pops up and it's like optional give vivienne not a snowy wyvern heart just a normal wyvern heart and i saw that pop up and i was like that's a dick move video game like is it a dick move or it does this appeal to the lazy inquisitor of which there i'm Mm. sure there are many I, I was more thinking, like, they did not do anything necessarily narratively to set this up, or, like, I don't know, I had Vivienne in my party when I was doing this, so maybe if you don't have Vivienne there, there might be a companion dialogue where one of them says something like, oh, why don't we just give her the Wyvern heart, how will she tell the difference, or whatever, like, um, but, I, God, I saw that pop up, and I was like, man, that's mean, that's messed yeah. up. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't really get it because like like they don't do anything to really set it up and it's it feels like it's also like kind of confusing in the way that like they present it because like it is it just show up in like the top right corner like oh give her this heart and like it doesn't even say like explicitly in like the mission marker like why or something like you know like something that really makes it very abundantly clear that you're going to give her the wrong thing um so like i feel like i mean i luckily didn't but like i feel like somebody could very easily kill one of those get that heart, assume they did the thing, and then just go give Vivian the wrong one. So now, this is the first time that I've thought about it this way. Can you fudge anybody else's uh, companion quest? Like, really badly? Because then it almost seems like 
somebody at Bioware really fucking hates Vivienne and they are <laughs> doing their best to undermine her within the fabric of the own game. Like already, like the idea that you are supposed to dislike her is built into the fabric of the very game because you can fuck with her, uh, her companion quest. Mm. Like, I mean, who else can you do that to? Yeah, I don't you can remember anybody. make really mean choices. Like, you can be like, hey, Cullen, you probably shouldn't break that drug addiction. And that's a mean thing to do to Cullen. Um, and, I mean, like, you can... That's this, a mean thing to do, but a... it makes sense. I, uh, uh, not that I would. Right. God. <laughs> Look who you're talking to. No. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Big, one of the biggest Cullen fangirls you could actually have on the, on the podcast. No, I would never do that. <laughs> but the way that it is presented to you that you could make that choice makes sense right but it but it while it being a very mean thing to do but giving vivian mm. the wrong wyvern heart just seems needlessly cruel like a way just yeah. to stick it to her because i don't fucking like this bitch almost like like i said that somebody at bioware really doesn't like her or they're trying to reinforce the point that you shouldn't like her which is a little bit fucked up by allowing you to mess with her companion quest yeah, something like the the closest equivalent I think because like, the, you know there are like quote unquote mean options you can make, but like in terms of something that's like actively dishonest, the closest equivalent I can think is Dorian's when if you don't tell him that you're taking him to go see his father's yeah. container, um, but even that like doesn't have the same sort of like ramifications. Like cause mm-hmm. I know because even you, that you could do that in the terms of like oh I just want to help you. It's a shitty fucking right, thing to do, right. but it's like you could frame that as a as a like oh I'm just trying to help you, you know, mm-hmm. regain, you know, whatever relationship you want to have with your father. But this just seems of all the mean things you can do, pointlessly cruel. Right. With no with no justification. Like most of the other mean choices you can do have justification or could be justified in, like with Dorian's case like hey I'm just trying to help you out, buddy. I know this is, you know, like exposure therapy or something. I know this is right. particularly shitty, but, you know, you'll be better for this. There's no, there's no same thing with that with Vivienne. And that, that was a weird thing with me because, like, the way I played, when you're getting the prompts for this companion quest, she initially doesn't tell you very much about what she needs the, the Wyvern Heart for. And you can kind of press her on it and be like, hey, you know, like, I'm down to get you this, but I kind of want to know what you're going to do with it before. And you, at first she's like, do you not trust me? Like, is that a whole thing? And, like, the first time around I was like, okay, you know, it's just someone being overly cautious. They don't want to go getting something that's going to cause a lot of damage to the Inquisition or something. When you come back with the Wyvern Heart and you give it to her, you have the option to be like, I'll only give it to you if you tell me what it's for. And that, like it gets you a big disapproval from Vivienne, but also like the way it's phrased is just, you, you say like some really mean shit to her where you're like, you get it. If you tell me what it's for. And I was like, Oh my God, my inquisitor is kind of a dick. Um, I just want to know what she's doing with the wyvern heart. I'm interested. I was expressing curiosity. Um, but it's, yeah. Like the closest equivalent I can think of in a Bioware game as a whole is maybe like not curing the or like faking the cure for the genophage. Um, but even like, then, that has justifi- even, justification if yeah, you want to be an, a total asshole about it, sure. Yeah. But there's yeah. justification for that. There's just, giving yeah. Fenris back to the slave owner. Oh, oh, wait, what? Yes. There is giving oh. to the slave owner, yeah. yeah. Giving Fenris back, you said? Yeah. You, what do you get for that? 
Nothing. You just uh, oh, nothing. Okay. Anders, yeah. like, Anders you just get them off. The, you get oh, Anders yeah. approval. <laughs> oh, okay. So then I see why people would want to do that. I guess. No, don't don't get me into that. Yeah. Uh, that that was that moment where Ken and I were both like, "Man, Anders really sucks." Like on a level that we have not properly appreciated yet on this podcast, Anders really does suck. Cool murder, um, still murder. Yep. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so. If you, if you go back and give her the correct heart, like a normal person, like a good person would do, <laughs> um, she eventually reveals that she is making a potion for... Uh, okay, Ken, you are going to have to correct me on this, because I suddenly am having a massive brain fart, and I can't remember. Um, husband, correct? She is married to Duke no. Bastion? No, 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 no. she's not. Mistress. Yes. Okay, mistress to Duke Bastion. I was like, I could not remember if there was an actual relationship there or what was going on there. Like, if there was, like, a affirmed in writing somewhere relationship or not. Um, making a potion for Duke Bastion, uh, who is suffering a disease. Um, and this is the other thing that, I mean, it gets cleared up later, but at first I wasn't really sure what was going on. Because she gives it to him. And he dies. And at first I was like, did we just kill a guy? <laughs> like, mm. is that what... Did, did I just help you kill a dude, Vivian? Like, you've got to give me some warning on that. Um, but as we later find out, she was trying to cure him of this incurable disease. And he passes. He apparently passes pretty terribly if you give her the wrong wyvern heart. Like, it just oh, does not work. Scene. Yeah, apparently, like, I, I'm reading this off the wiki because I've also never given her the common wyvern heart, but apparently, like, in the scene that I, I believe we both got, um, he passes kind of soundly and is like, mm. don't worry, Vivienne, it'll be okay. Apparently, if you give him the normal, like, the not snowy wyvern one, uh, it's not as happy. Mm. <laughs> it's not as peaceful, let's say. Um yeah, it's, it causes Duke Bastion an uneasy death. Um, and that's also the point where she can call you out and be like, you tricked me. Like, you straight up gave me the wrong ingredients. Uh, which is, you know, not a good look for you. Um, you can talk to her after this and kind of just discuss, like, what was going on and kind of their history and, and get some backstory from her there um but i was like that was the point where i was like this seems like it was just kind of an ending like okay we just got this potion didn't work duke is dead but the part that really worked for me was afterwards when i was just talking to vivienne and i was kind of recounting the story of how she met him and going to Orlay and the way he was immediately attracted to her and like he she talks about um how he was there with a date and they were like sending assassins after him because he wasn't paying attention to his date <laughs> and stuff um and it, i was just like man this is a side of vivienne that i just have not seen in this yeah. game yet like this you know it's she's very much like full-on exterior you know she's got you know, we just had wicked eyes wicked hearts and they talk about like wearing a mask at, at the balls in orlay and stuff and vivienne is kind of always wearing that mask and for this little moment like i felt like i was starting to see a little bit of her unguarded character and i thought yeah. that was really neat like it was a cool insight so that's kind of like where i landed at with vivienne at the end of all this was like maybe 
like I need to be more allowing of leeway in a character that is going to keep up appearances and have that like mask up because that is their life and that's the life they have to lead but every once in a while you get to have those moments where you just talk person to person um it was it was a very nice moment it's a nice way to end that quest it's a very when you think about it that way and then you go back and examine what it is that she asks you to do yes it's very much a a letting down of guard like she Mm. lets you in just enough to be like okay i need your help with this you're the only person I trust with this. She's mm-hmm. an intensely private person, an intensely um, tight-lipped person when it comes to personal things. And the fact that she was able to trust you enough for you to be like there to help her with, you know, her, um, I guess, lover, um, her patron of sorts, who, from what I remember from this quest and her relationship with Duke Bastien, like he did a lot for her, like, yeah. you know, give her, you know, the money and the support that she needed to do the things that she was able to do to become first enchanter before Morgan took that spot. Fuck her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, the fact that she can't save him from this disease and she wants to make his passing as easy as possible. Um, the fact that she allows you to assist her with that, this person who is notoriously and intensely prideful, who probably would never, you know, let you piss on her if she was burning alive, is it an incredible moment for her, like mm-hmm. a moment of um, of weakness and vulnerability that she shares with you. Yeah. When you think about it after the fact, like, oh shit, like wow, she really let me in on that. And that's probably as much as I'll ever see from her. Right. And that's okay because she is the kind of person that she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, like, and I, like, we've been talking about on this podcast throughout the entire Inquisition season. Like, I've had two char- two very specific characters that don't fucking like me at the outset. One is Cassandra, one is Vivienne. With Cassandra, I felt like I had, like, a very gradual, like, she fucking hated me at the very beginning. And then, like, seen it, like, gradually have come to a kind of understanding in like really more tangible ways than I think I ever got with Vivienne, but I think that is just the nature of Vivienne. For like her sort of like opening up and like being willing to talk to me about these things was a moment where we're not gonna agree on like the direction the mages need to go, but like we can at least find comfort in each other on other things and like kind of uh, if we, if one of us needs help on something, we can we know that we can trust the other. So it's not you know the most it's not like the biggest most grand. Uh, quest line in the game, but it is something that leaves this kind of, like very larger than life character like on a very understated note that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's a damn it! I had the word. It's like a very profound moment for her, but yeah, it's very yeah. small and it's a blink and you'll miss it. But if you understand the kind of person that she is, it's extremely profound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do we have any kind of closing thoughts on Vivian here? Um, I think I've I've kind of already said how I feel about it, and that I just you know by way of who I chose to continually have in my party and, and like do more companion stuff with. I never had Vivienne in my party much the first time I played this game. And one of the cool things about playing this a second time around has been seeing more of that character and, and more interactions and kind of getting to know her better. Um, she has a really good, uh, we talked during the Cole episode about how Cole kind of reveals things about other characters when you're walking around ambiently. And one of the one of the things that Cole reveals mm-hmm. about Vivienne is that she like set up the entire confrontation that led to you like meeting her uh, in her recruitment mission. Like she got that marquee to get all riled up so that way she could do her big entrance and all that. 
and I, I think some people would see that and be like, oh, that's duplicitous or whatever. But like for me, I was like, wait, she got a dude in position to get riled up so she can make an awesome entrance and like totally impress <laughs> the Inquisitor. Like that's awesome. <laughs> like Vivian rules. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's been really interesting because I feel like some companions by virtue of the role that they play in the story you know you have like solas and varic who have very obvious tie-ins to what is happening in the story they get a little bit more camera time they get a little bit more time to hang out with the inquisitor and to just kind of do things and i feel like vivienne is on the other side of that where she just kind of has her own stuff and she'll comment on things but she unless you really get into the divine race uh she's not as much a major player in terms of like in comparison to say soulless uh but i think she's a character that is totally worth having in your party getting to know because she does represent this paradigm that you don't see with the other mage characters right hmm. I, I... Oh, you go no go ahead please uh, i was gonna say like i i feel like that it is one of the things that i'm grateful that we have done this show because like she is a character that i would have like absolutely been ready to like never see again and that just, just comes from like the relationship that she and Quither had was not happy and like they were just constantly like disagreeing mm-hmm. on everything but I think having done the show like having like I, I really gotta hand it to you actually like if, if the stuff that you said on the panel was like the thing that really like woke me up on like things that I was missing out on her because I just now feel like she's been completely underserved by the the specific game that she is in and the situation that she has been allowed to be involved in, and like in a, in a way that we see as a player, it's like I hope I see her in Dragon Age Four in whatever form that may be, because I need a character like Vivienne around to make all the black and whites that Dragon Age likes to put forth really like like for, let me see them for what they really are. Uh, I'm trying to find it and I can't. Um, there's you, you spoke of Cole and how he reveals things about other characters. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I have a memory of something that he says about Vivienne. I know he says something about how she met Bastienne for the first time and how she'll never be hungry again because, you know, she met Bastienne and he became her patron or whatever. But I want to say that there's something that he also says that kind of reveals that there is anti-Black racism in Thetis. Something about... Mm-hmm dark or how dark she is or how can you see her or something like that maybe maybe it's something that they say in the winter palace i don't remember but um that's one of the things that i really appreciated about cole's particular reaction with her and i may be misremembering about it but i know that there was some kind of dialogue somehow remarking on vivian's color that kind of confirmed like yeah she faces adversity in addition to being a mage um but as far as a parting thought is concerned about her, I love her to death. I I think fandom did her very dirty. And I think that has a lot to do with how Bioware themselves wrote her, um, how she does come like late, a little bit late, um, and how we've already had this framing about how we're supposed to think about mages and Templars, such that the arrival of a mage who's like, well, maybe the circles are not that bad of an idea is kind of treated as anathema, such that, you know, she does get to get this like kind of disgusting treatment from you know fandom that you know kind of gets rooted in anti-blackness but you know we're not going to get into that right now because i do not have the energy um i think she deserves a second look and i would love to see her again and you should make her the divine it's the best choice 
I am pulling up. I'm I'm looking through some of her uh, story beats here with Cole, um, and there are some really really good ones. <laughs> Cole, um, she kind of treats Cole like a. Uh, she's kind of a bitch to Cole, which I understand, mm-hmm. considering you know how she's been brought up and what she she knows about you know demons or or whatever. So I get it. It's still kind of mean though. I feel bad because I like Cole. I like him a lot. Kind of don't like the compulsory heterosexuality they kind of shunt him into in the end, but mm. um, I still I still really like him. Yeah, she he's got a really good line where um he points out how happy she was at the Winter Palace, um saying like rules that let you win uh that's why you're happier being a noble than a mage you fear demons not people and vivian responds people can only kill you i'm like oh that's a good line mm. that's a really good line mm-hmm. um yeah god the cool stuff is so good again cole a character that ends up just boosting all the other ones in so many interesting ways normally this is where we'd wind down uh this is where we you know get into talking about the patreon stuff and we get into you know wrapping the show up but we got news to talk about (laughs) Um, i'm so glad i get to be here for the news the the awesome news we we have for once in an n7 day we actually have something new to talk about rather than like hey (laughs) there's more merch in the bioware store um today so on November 7th and 7 day, Casey Hudson uh, over at Bioware posted a blog confirming rumors that had been around for some time that there is a Mass Effect trilogy remaster on the way. And I, I do want to point out really quick, um, I've been very careful to, when I talk about this thing, try and talk about it in terms of saying like the Shepherd trilogy or something like that. Mm. Because... And not to give away one of my takeaways right away, but the fact that they just frame this as like the Mass Effect trilogy and we're remastering Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. Why are you asking about another game? There's not other games here. It's the Mass Effect trilogy. (laughs) Um, But they are doing a remaster of Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. Uh, They state that they are optimized for 4K Ultra HD with sharp resolution faster frame rates beautiful visual enhancements uh it will have all the single player base content and dlc from mass effect mass effect 2 and mass effect 3 alongside all the promo weapons so you get that blood dragon armor and all that Ooh, um i do like the blood dragon armor it is good it has no place in mass effect but (laughs) damn is it sexy uh it's coming in spring 2021 for xbox one ps4 and pc uh, but they are saying that they will have forward compatibility, which is the first time in a long time I've seen it phrased that way, uh, and targeted enhancements for the Series X and the PlayStation 5. Uh, the, the Dream is Dead. Yeah, so it's... Well, I mean, so the the two notable things there is they're not making outright next-gen versions according to this. They're just going to rely on forward compatibility, which I'm not surprised. Like, the way I phrased this fine. to somebody was like look it already does not take much to run these games at 4k 60 <laughs> on a decent pc so i'm imagining that current gen consoles can probably handle that all right if not like 4k 30 but uh the uh the other thing is that obviously no nintendo switch which i think a lot of people were hoping for and reports had it's fine. It's 
indicated that that might be talked about but later on down the line maybe well, after a theoretical again. maybe after a theoretical date of march 31st you know that yeah magi- right <laughs> that magical day nintendo where all has nintendo to clear, stop. like clear space from their like <laughs> library from like uh the the all-stars trilogy or whatever to make room for the mass effect trilogy yeah. you know they have to clear space yeah that magical there's, there's finite space that magical day where Nintendo will cease to exist for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> but so we'll talk about the second piece of news after this, but just kind of like initial takeaways for me, obviously like I'm excited about this. This is cool. Um, I'm glad that they're bringing it to PC as well. I think it was kind of up in the air a little bit, whether this is going to just be a console remaster or whether they would bring it to PC as well, but there's already kind of a fervent, modding scene on pc for a lot of bioware games and i'm interested to see what can be done in that area and what they kind of do um and they also talk about modernizing the games a little bit which had sparked up some discussion about mass effect one obviously um kind of the outlier in in the trilogy let's say ash how did you feel about this remaster announcement so what i'm hoping for actually when you say modernization is that they um, unlock every companion for Shepard. Every companion becomes hmm. a Shepard sexual, no matter the gender. Every That's companion. what I hope. Everyone. That's what I hope for uh, when you say modernization. But mm-hmm. um, I'm excited. I mean, we knew this was coming, right? Yeah. So it's not like it's not like something that takes you by surprise and can make you happy or anything like that. Like you know, we 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 had an idea, but I like the idea of looking forward to a Mass Effect in 2021. Uh, even if it is just, you know, me getting to experience the original trilogy again, because the original trilogy is just even even including Mass Effect 1 is just really good. Uh, it's hard to play Mass Effect 1 mm. again. It's really difficult, um, but it's not as difficult as Dragon Age Origins. Like I could put up That's with fair. Mass Effect yeah. 1 a lot easier than I can with Dragon yeah. Age Origins. So yeah. it's not that bad. Um but I mean, I, and I also know a lot of people that prefer the the more RPG yeah. elements of ME one versus the the more streamlined shooter aspects of two and three. Um, the story, all the stories are still good. They still hold up really well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm just excited. I'm excited to mm. see all my old friends again, which is exactly the the only way that I can I conceive of having the the remaster. Like yeah. I, I get to see my friends again in shiny new HD textures. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Ken, what were what were your kind of takeaways from this? So, the, the first not to like spoil something that might be on a certain video game website, and then look, next we've week, we've already blogged um, about this. There's been blogging done about yeah, this. And there might be more to come, but um. Oh, okay. I, I'm I'm writing a little bit about sort of like queer reparations for yeah, and like. Specifically, like I'm framing around, like bringing the Caden romance, like throughout the entire trilogy instead of just three. But the the thing about that, um, start, I, I don't know if either of you watched the uh, the N seven panel, like where the, the voice cast came together. Jennifer Hale said that she didn't know that the three master was happening until the announcement. So that oh wow, that signals to me that they probably aren't going to be like making like major sweeping changes in terms of like romance because like those there's been no new dialogue recorded, no any of that and. Like, there would be, like, you know, characters that weren't... Because, like, by the time they got to Mass Effect 3, they had basically a sense of who was going to be romanceable by who. And mm-hmm. so, like, they, they didn't go do the thing they did in Mass Effect 1 where, like, they had both Shepherds record all their lines. So in order to make those kind of things happen, they would have had to have done new lines. So, like, I 
my what I infer from that is that I can only hope for so much, and I don't know that even <laughs> making the Caden romance available for Mass Effect One is a thing that uh, it's going to be even possible. But, that sucks. Yeah, and you know, if if you're not like full full blown remaking something, you can only do so much with what you've, the tools you've got, I guess. But uh, my takeaway is like I'm really excited. I'm really like I. Even after we finished our like our fifty one episodes of Mass Effect, I would like there I had a moment where like for the first time in my life I was burnt out on Mass Effect, which is a very wild, uncharacteristic thing of me. But the second like the remasters like became like a thing that was spoken into the universe, I was like, I will play all of this again, I will buy them again. Yeah. Like I hope there is some collector's <laughs> edition that I can waste like hundred fifty dollars on because I will do it. Um I'm excited for I'm excited for the prospect of like these games getting kind of like the sort of, like, second look-over that... Mm-hmm. Kind of, like, both both in, like, a positive way, because I think, like, we could we could use, like, a more sensible take on the ending of Mass Effect 3, but also, like, on the negative side, I'm, I'm excited for, like, us to exist in a, to- in a time in games criticism where, like, a lot more marginalized people are, are there to, like... Mm. There, there's been, like, just even in the past day or so, like, a lot of, like, queer writers being like, hey, this game was messed up to queer people. Like, the series was, until Mass Effect 3, it was very messed up for queer people. And the games kind of got away with that just because of, like the state of games media ten years ago, and mm-hmm. so, and like I've been I've been beating the drum on that for like as long as I've been working in games. So, like I'm ready to like just see, like a breadth of new people, like new voices mm-hmm. talking about these games in ways they didn't get to be talked about before. Um, the, you know, the the lack of Switch hurts my heart, but if they if they bring it out on Switch later, I'll buy it too. Um, but I'm excited to play it on my PlayStation Five. I'm gonna kiss Kalenko on my PlayStation Five. <laughs> It's gonna have that haptic feedback. You're gonna get yeah. the rumbles. Oh god! Dual sense coming in clutch. <laughs> um, that's yeah, funny. that's that's like that's where I'm landing on it. Is that I'm so interested to see how a new generation like grapples with this series because for years I've been saying that like when you look at the series of the Xbox 360, PS3 generation, you have to talk about Mass Effect because there was really nothing like it and really very little that's been done like it since like maybe telltale's series like the walking dead series and stuff is the closest that other games have come to what bioware does with linking games together and certainly none of them in the way that there is this consistent shepherd story through those three games and i think that resonates a lot that's why people have such an attachment to the way that they play those games the way that they engage with those games but to see a new generation get to play it and also like play it all in one go is going to be kind of weird you know not broken up by years between entries and all that but like you just play one through three in one sitting if you want (laughs) um it's going to be interesting and and yeah i i would love if they could go back and re-examine some stuff um like caden is obviously one uh i'd still think about how there are points in mass effect 2 where jack openly tells you that she is bisexual yeah. yet you cannot romance her as female shepherd for some reason um which just seems really tonally inconsistent and right. yeah it's i want to see more takes on that um the other thing that i want to see more takes on is mass effect andromeda because <laughs> um the second part of casey hudson's blog o'clock time is that 
As he says, meanwhile here at Bioware, a veteran team has been hard at work envisioning the next chapter of the Mass Effect universe. We are in early stages on the project and can't say any more just yet, but we're looking forward to sharing our vision for where we'll be going next. Uh, I thought he was going to say next year, and I did not. He does not say that. He's just saying next. How the damn hell you going to talk about a damn ma- a new Mass Effect when I ain't got Dragon Age 4? Get the fuck out of my uh, face. That's yeah. Fair. Like it's it, that's the moment where I like began to appreciate how much larger Bioware is than it used to be. You know, it is like so many different studios at this point. Like Bioware Austin is pretty much the anth- like the Anthem reboot studio, and there are like many different branches of Bioware at this point. Which at, at one point, like on one hand, it gave me an appreciation for how much larger the studio is than I you know think we sometimes contextualize it as, but also like. This is also a studio that tends to announce a thing and then take like four years to deliver the thing. <laughs> and uh, hearing about a Mass Effect, like a new Mass Effect, part of me just went, why are you saying anything? Like, please don't tell us this. This is going to take forever to deliver. Just tell think, us when you have something more to share. <laughs> I think given the like the precarious nature of Mass Effect right now, I think even if they don't, even if they're not going to show anything, or even if they're going to like go quiet for like, years at a time at this point I think it I, I understand the reasoning behind being like hey we would like to reassure people that Mass Effect is not like this remaster is not the only thing that's going to be happening in this universe we aren't like resting on our laurels of like oh we're going to keep the Mass Effect name in everybody's mouths by releasing the old games um yeah, yeah. but like yeah but there is the issue of like you've ostensibly got like two other projects that are like in the public eye in some sub capacity being Dragon Age 4 and then Anthem 2.0 for the 11 people that want it, and because like even going back with Dragon Age 4, like we first heard about that like two years ago, and then it wasn't until this year where we saw like a very rough sort of like making of video that was not more about. Yeah, they're like Bioware employees talking about yeah. how much they love working for Bioware yeah. than anything about the game. But yeah. I was like, oh, that looks like Red Lyrium. Ooh, yeah. I can see what that is. Like, mm-hmm. let me extrapolate for 5,000 words off these, like, mm. scant two seconds of screen shots. Yep. I mean, that's my life. Yeah. I mean, people are already doing that with this Mass Effect teaser image they put out, too. Cause that looks people... like a ketchup. Well, they and they pretty quickly figured out that the silhouettes, like, I think they look like Morden, Thane, and Jal, I think is what people like zoomed and enhanced and figured out was <laughs> enhanced. Like actually I haven't seen this. I'm gonna have to take a look. I think I saw it on PC Gamer was the site that posted it. Um, yeah, no, those are definitely the silhouettes of like the the uh squad select screen from Mass yeah, Effect 2. Which to me just says like somebody was like, Oh, oh we yeah. need to put people over here. I don't yeah, know, I man. <laughs> um but it's, I I wrote a thing about it today uh, for for US Gamer that was just basically me saying like I want them to stay with Andromeda. I want mm. them to give Andromeda another shot. You know I, I'm not pulling punches. I have said on here many times that I don't like Andromeda. I didn't think it was very good, but that doesn't necessarily mean I don't want them to try and do more with it. Cause like, and I wrote about this in the piece, but like, I think we get a little rose colored about what mass effect one was especially Mm -hmm. like the way that attachment to mass effect grew over time like i remember mass effect one specifically as like that was a cool sci-fi rpg but 
I wasn't ride or die for Garrus <laughs> at that point in time. Like, yeah. it took Mass Effect 2 and 3 to get me to the point where I'm like, Garrus Bakarian is one of the best characters in video games. That's and, a good point. And, yeah. like, you need that time. You need that effort. You need that investment to have characters grow, and especially, like, grow outside of the lens of the game. Like, there is something to be said for the fact that Garrus, you know, theoretically disappears both, like, there were years between when Mass Effect 1 and 2 came out and also like years between when Shepard goes into cold sleep and then gets revived from the dead and you can let that character breathe and grow on their own in return and then it's like this interesting thing of oh this character has changed without me there like there's so much that you can do with that in the Andromeda Galaxy and they've set up so much that I don't want to see them just spike it because mm -hmm. the first game got a poor reception. Like, definitely look at what that game did that didn't work and try to work on fixing that. But also, like, don't just throw everything out because right. Andromeda didn't get the reception that you hoped it would. Right, and also because there are, like, subsets of the fandom that have other weird fucking ideas about what you should do instead. Like, oh, the, the one can, I sent like, you today canonize was so an ending <laughs> and like, or yeah, like everyone's like, like write Mithri's ending differently so Shepard lives and like goes off. To, like what? Did, oh god! It, it was like it and, was and, it was one that was. I'm not going to like name and shame or anything. Do not go find this person. Please do not bully this person. This is a normal chill podcast. Please don't turn it into that. Um, but it was a take that was essentially rewrite Mass Effect 3 so Shepard like canon lives and then leads the Andromeda initiative and Shepard is the protagonist of Mass Effect Andromeda and I was Let like that's cursed yeah. that's bad <laughs> it's extremely bad I, I will tell you that I'm the most I'm the biggest like I really don't care about a dragon or a Mass Effect story that is not Shepard's story mm. like that's all I care about those are the only people I care about and even I don't like the idea of them the shepherd leading uh, the andromeda thing or whatever yeah. like that's not no just first of all shepherd doesn't seem like the kind of person who would do that yeah for the first point yeah like, mm, no yeah like mm. let, let Geralt, you know let Geralt chill on his winery he doesn't need to go do every single witcher game from now till the end of time like let mm. let the heroes hang up their swords and let new people step mm -hmm. in like i just I just wrapped up reviewing Yakuza Like a Dragon, and I think that game is incredibly good because it lets somebody completely new and separate from the story step in and take over the mantle, and it's really good because of that. <laughs> and I want to see like Bioware put that same trust in a character like Ryder, or you know, even if they do end up moving away, I want to see like some confidence from them that they they're not going to treat this like another one-off that they are going to try and build something that is akin to the Shepard trilogy. And don't, you know, undo choices so, like, one particular choice get, becomes <laughs> canon. Like, again, not to spoil things that are going to be on fanbyte.com tomorrow, but, like, mm. the, the way that people are, like... I was talking to, to Natalie Flores, friend of the show, also at Fanbyte, um, and she was, like, talking about how there are people that are, like, arguing to, like, canonize and end it in Mass Effect 3, specifically the one where Shepard lives, and then just make another Shepard game, and we talked about how, like, maybe the backlash of Andromeda, like, made people emboldened in the idea that what they care about in Mass Effect is Shepard, and that they don't want anything else. And, like, in that case, then if, like, if that is, if there is no future to be had in the Mass Effect universe without Shepard, then just don't make another fucking Mass Effect game. Like, make something new. Like, you don't mm. need to constantly be, like, 
and this is coming from a person that's like, I think Dragon Age should do better by its protagonist, but I think, like, the difference here is that Dragon Age doesn't finish its, finish its stories before it switches somebody else, but then Mass Effect very clearly, definitively was like, this mm-hmm. is the end of this one character's story, we do not need, if we're going to stay in this universe in any capacity, we do not need to come back to them. And just like, you gotta, you gotta let go! What if they did a prequel story that was set before humans ever show up to the Citadel, and there were like literally no humans? in Mass Effect. It was just all the other council races. Like, you could play as a Turian or a Sari or Salarian or whatever. And, like, the end of the game was, like, this tease of, like, oh, the first contact war started and humans mm. are emerging. But, like, until then, you're doing, like, C-Sex stuff or you're doing, like, Spectre stuff, but there are literally no humans present. <laughs> nah, you know what? You, you just said exactly what you needed to say. A Mass Effect prequel that's the first contact war. I, I would play that game seven times. But the first contact war, wasn't it like, it was only like 48 hours or something? It was like a very short war. You could do a lot in 48 Between the humans hours. and the Turians. You've seen, you've seen the season of 24? Uh, <laughs> you got two of them. That's definitely what we should do, is draw comparisons between Jack Bauer and Commander Shepard. I mean, <laughs> somebody has to. <laughs> um, it's, mm. yeah, I, I think the only way I would be into a milky way thing is if they found some way to dodge canonizing an ending you know either set it before the events of the mass effect shepherd trilogy or set it way way beyond where any sort of ending would have had any sort of immediate impact i guess you'd still have to address some of the things about mass effect 3's ending like oh the reapers were being controlled by us for a time but they all broke down and died (laughs) i don't think that like or it would it would have to be set like so 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 far in the future where none of it matters anymore yeah i think you can i mean not not like again like okay to to, like put it up forth like i want an andromeda sequel that's that's what i want out of the next mass Effect game but i think like even if you were to set it after shepherd in the milky way like if you just don't make the reapers the focus of the story I think you can pull, reasonably pull off a story that is re- relatively unaffected by whichever choice you made. Because, like, it's the same way that they kind of, like, slot in characters into scenes in Mass Effect 3, whether they're alive or not, Reapers yeah. and their role in the universe can be can act in that same way. I don't think that you need to... Like, not that I'm... I'm not, like, downplaying how drastically different the universe is, depending on which choice you make, but there are ways if they... And, like... and You can write around it. Yeah. And... The thing that I... It'll be up, up by the time this episode goes live. The thing I wrote for Fanbyte is about how... Ensuring that they don't step on the toes of any player's version of this universe is, like, paramount to this series in a way that I don't know if people really appreciate unless they, like, maybe even, like, read the books or the comics and they see, like, Shepard is always referred to in gender-neutral ways. They don't touch on, like, story beats and factions that would have, like, come into contact with Shepard in ways that your choices in the games make a massive influence on the way that those mm-hmm. events unfold. Like, Bioware has the chops to do it, and it is like it seems like a value that they hold up very high in the series, and I wish that the fan did as well. What if it's set so far in the future that, like, that you're, like, playing it, and it's still the Citadel, and everything's going on, but, like, there's something weird about it, and you slowly realize over the course of the game that the civilization, like, Shepard's you know generation and stuff all died and there's like no 
recollection of the reapers or anything like that and then the villain is digging up reaper tech and turning it to their own advantage and you're like discovering the truth of what happened to shepherd and no i'm telling you like this is my idea that's just flowing out of my head right now like you're learning about what happened to shepherd and the reapers and why they suddenly disappeared and they're using reaper tech against you and oh damn bioware what's up <laughs> <laughs> my dms are open let's talk yeah like call me um, like you can have this for free no no you can pay for this but <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no i think there are things they can do with it um i definitely still do want like an andromeda 2 if you know that's i think it deserves it mm-hmm. um but i also at the same time recognize that's maybe more than i can always ask but you know it's as long as they do something confidently that's that's what i want i don't want it to feel like they're making a mass effect just to hey guys remember mass effect everybody loves mass effect let's play mass effect game yeah like i want it to feel as daring as those first three mass effect games did where they were like hey we made a sci-fi rpg the studio that you know for like you know kotor and jade empire stuff like that we made a sci-fi shooter rpg and then we completely rewrote the sci-fi shooter rpg for number two and you're not a super space cop anymore you're an outcast who's working with a questionable organization and then you gotta fight the reapers and then you died yeah and then you died um yeah yeah mass effect it's so weird to be talking about that in the year 2020 but we're here again we talk about Mass Effect a lot on this podcast, as well as Dragon Age and all other things Bioware, because we are Normandy FM. We are a podcast that airs weekly, doing retrospectives of various Bioware games. We are currently in the middle of Dragon Age Inquisition, and we will wrap it up this year, and heading into next year, starting in January, we will be doing Jade Empire, because y'all back to that tier. Very excited to do that. As always, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm to back us, get us up on those tiers. If you are in a certain tier, you get your name shouted out on the podcast every week. And I'm ramping for time because I forgot to pull the list up. It's over here in this Slack that I'm currently opening right now. Uh, Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin Just Colin, Just Zach Mickle, and The Wedge of Destiny. Thank you all so much for backing. If you don't have the means to back or whatever, that's okay. We get it. Things are happening right now. You got to take care of yourself first. You can follow us still at twitter.com slash normdfmshow and on various podcast feeds. Leave us reviews, all that kind of stuff. Ash, where can the wonderful people find the things that you do? Um, you can find me. I am on Twitter at adastra. That's A-D-A-S-H-T-R-A. And I am a writer for Kotaku, so you can catch me there awesome we're so happy that we got to have you on the show in a full episode guest thing and then all, you also got to come on for mass effect talk like you got the double whammy of uh, yeah i know I'm, I'm really i'm really uh excited that i got to do the one two punch yeah. my two favorite video game genres ever are or you, video games ever are you a jade empire fan by any chance? i'm not a jade empire fan mm. i only got into bioware stuff for mm. mass effect and dragon age i am curious to check out all the the baldur's gates and the kotors of my of the past but uh jade empire i kind of missed out on i forgot that was a thing they did yeah that is I'm not, the, what that has kind of been the uh, the recurring theme we're having trouble finding people that like were super into that game but we'll make it's it it's our 
It's our question we ask every time. I, it's funny you brought up Baldur's Gate because I think this is the first episode in a long time that hasn't ended with me making some mention of Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> um, that game is very good. Uh, now if you ever about... decide to have a Normandy FM show about Baldur's Gate 3 specifically, I am your girl. Uh, it's looking pretty likely that once that game is all done and finished that it would very much be on our radar for a breakdown in the vein that we've been doing so i'm not going to put anything in stone yet this is not a commitment <laughs> this is, <laughs> listeners this is not a commitment but it has been something that ken and i have talked about at this point um because it just definitely does seem like it'll be our kind of jam once that game is actually out in a you know where to find me it'll be great <laughs> and next week we will be having a guest once again the wonderful chase carter will be returning uh he's coming back on to talk about blackwall who is very interesting character uh this is one i've been really looking forward to revisiting because i did not like him <laughs> the first you mean time the I world's played sexiest liar uh it's, i just thought he was boring i was like oh this dude just kind of sucks like he's boring I, until he's not sure <laughs> i i was very much into his big daddy energy and then he dumped me so i was like shit so and then and that's how i ended up with cullen and so thanks blackwall <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it just takes the right the right person dumping you to find the right person you were looking for exactly it's the kind of life truths to bring here on normandy fm we'll see you for more next week We have watched and waited 